0: the Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hear they're listed within three unalienable rights. In other words, there are three rights given to all men by God that cannot be taken away. And while we hear the list of three, we may not recognize at first that they, there are, there's one that's different than the other two. The unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, no one can guarantee happiness. We recognize that God has given to all men the right to life, the right to freedom. Happiness is not necessarily a God-given right. However, your opportunity to pursue happiness is a God-given right. And that's significant, that's important, because happiness is not guaranteed to any one of us. Happiness actually is determined by our happenings, what's going on around us. Our circumstances determine whether or not we are happy. Happiness occurs when the circumstances are right. Joy, on the other hand, occurs when our heart is right. Notice the significant difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on external experiences, what's going on around me. Joy is based on an internal experience, on an internal commitment. Joy happens when I choose to have a positive outlook based on my faith in Jesus Christ. Joy is relationally based. Happiness is experientially based. Happiness happens. Joy is chosen. I can choose, because of my faith in Jesus, I can choose to have a joy within that overrules my experiences around me. And so this morning, I want us to continue our look at the book of Philippians. The series that we've started is called Choose Joy. And this morning, specifically, I want us to look at the joyful person. As we continue our text, we're just going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And this morning, we arrive at chapter 1 and verse 12. I want to introduce to you the joyful person. And as we look at it together, I'll, I want to share with you some of the characteristics of this person who has found joy. Beginning in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, and by the way, when he says brothers, when the original audience read it, they understood. He was saying siblings. Don't get hung up on that. He, the, the, uh, mascul- the, the word for sibling is a masculine word. And so when they read it, they read siblings, brothers and sisters. When it's translated into English, we don't have masculine words and feminine words. And so they pulled the masculine translation from the Greek and it becomes brothers. But in his day, his audience knew he was talking to the entire church, brothers and sisters. All right. So don't bring up all that, all, all that sexism stuff. It's, that's not what he's doing. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now that is incredible that he would even say that. Because what has happened to him? We looked at it the last couple of weeks, and so you know that Paul is in prison in Rome. And it is very likely, although we don't have strict biblical explanation of what that prison experience looked like, it is very likely that he was under 24-hour guard, that there was always at least one Roman guard in his presence. He was most likely never really alone. There was always somebody there guarding him. And here he is in a a dark prison cell waiting to talk to Caesar, not knowing his fate or what would happen to him. And if you and I found ourselves sitting on the dirt floor in a corner in the darkness, never having privacy, somebody there guarding us, telling us what to do every minute of the day, you and I would probably write home to our church, and we would say, dear church family, I'm hurting. You need to know how bad this is. Please pray for me. Please help me. Instead, Paul writes a letter to this church family, and he says, church family, God is good, man. We have reason to rejoice. His entire letter is full of joy. And notice what he says. I want you to know, family, that what has happened to me has turned out good. It really served to advance the gospel. And in that, we see the joyful person's focus. A person of joy has has a certain focus notice he didn't deny that he was suffering he says that uh, uh, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me he didn't deny it he acknowledged it there were things happening there were bad things happening so when, when we talk about finding joy when we talk about Christians experiencing joy in life we are not saying pretend there are no problems Everybody's got problems. Norman Vincent Peale says the only people who don't have problems are the people in the cemeteries. We all have problems. And Christians are not intended, we're not intended to fake it. We're not intended to overlook them, to deny them. He said, what, this stuff's happening to me. But what we can do is have a different Focus. We can look at the problems and our life and the world around us in a different way than those who don't know Jesus. The joyful person has a particular focus. He says, I want you to know that what has happened has actually wound up causing something good. What has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. It also strikes me that he didn't go into detail into what had happened. You know, if if I was going to write home to you and let you know all that I was going through, there'd be three or four pages. I want you to know how bad I'm hurting. I want you to know that this place stinks. I want you to know how mean these people are. I would tell you every detail and every ache and every pain that I was experiencing. He didn't go into all that. He just said... Yeah, you know that stuff that's happening to me? Let me tell you about it. It has actually served to advance the gospel. That was his focus. Not on pity poor me and not on the problem, but what can God do with my current situation? Therein is the joyful person's focus. Not on my problem, but what can my God do with my current situation. See, joy is a choice that you make within that enables you to have a positive outlook regardless of those circumstances. The joyful person doesn't just quote Romans 8 28 when they have a problem. They view life through the filter of Romans eight twenty eight. And you remember that verse. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that in all things God works. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice it says, in all things. And when he says, in all things, he means in everything. Even in prison. Even in suffering. Even in pain. Even in grief. Even in loss. God is at work. Now, it doesn't say he causes those things. But in them, he is at work bringing good out of those experiences. And the people who notice it, the people who get to experience it, are those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The joyful person lives life through, or looks at life through the filter of Romans 8.28. They live life in that way. Yes, my problems are real, but my God is bigger than these problems Instead of focusing on what I'm going through, I'm going to focus on what can my God do through these things. When I graduated from high school, my mother gave me a graduation gift. And right after high school, I actually played with it a good bit. Um, I played with it some through college and little bit around seminary and then I went into the, the pastorate and it got put away and it just went from one closet to the next I really don't think that it's even been out of the case probably for 10 or 15 years I got up in the attic yesterday and I got it down and uh, oh my gosh I've gained a lot of weight since I put that on So I got that out of the attic yesterday. You can see how dusty everything is. And I'm telling you, I, I have it hasn't it hasn't been touched for 10, maybe 15 years. And so what's the first thing that I had to do to it? Had to tune it. And so what do you do when you tune it? Well, you you play the note and you go to the Piano, you hit the E, you play that, and you increase the tension until it sounds right. And then you you go to the next string. Make sure they match when you do it, when you hold down the right fret. Make sure they match. And you tune by increasing the tension of each string. And then once everything's in place, you can actually... Isn't that beautiful? Sounds like somebody hadn't played in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. But the chords still work if, if, if it... I mean, there's, there's one that's loose or something, and so it sounds, it sounds twangy, but the chords still work once it's in tune. But the only way to get the thing in tune was to increase the tension on each string. Matter of fact, if I just held up a string... It wouldn't do anything. There'd be no noise, no sound, no no music. In order for the string to sing, it's got to be under tension. You've got problems in life. You're going to have more problems in life. When the next round of problems comes your way, Are you going to say, the problems beat me? Or are you going to say, God, let these problems put me in a position where even though it's tense, God, use the tension, the heartache, the pain to bring out a song. JT or somebody, come up and play something that really sounds good here. The tension is not the problem, nor is it the goal. The problem is our focus, and the goal is God's glory. And so the person of joy has this particular focus that looks through and beyond the problems. And instead of saying, look what I'm going through, we say, what can God do through this? Notice then the joyful person's priority. In the next verse, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In verse 12, he he said that all this that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's a great word, that word advance, because it was used of a a particular group in the military whose job it was to go in front of the fighters, in front of the army. And their job was to go in front and to chop down the trees and clear the brush so the massive army could go forward. And here he says, what has happened to me really has served to advance The gospel, my issues, my problems, my concern have been those forerunners who made the way so now the gospel could come in all its power. And then look what happened when when that gospel shows up, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, I don't think he's exaggerating. These are all the imperial guard in the house of the most powerful person in the world at that time because Paul suffered the most powerful people in the world at that time got to hear about Jesus he says so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest not just the guard but all the other servants and all the other people who are around in this place they know that my imprisonment is for Christ They know that what I'm going through has a purpose and they all know that I represent Jesus. They would not know that he represented Jesus had he not been dragged to their prison. The people there, the guard and the others around there would never have encountered a representative of Christ had Paul not been imprisoned there. And so he is saying, look, man, this is bad, but look how God is using it. Look at what God is doing. He is is making sure that everyone in this area knows that I am here for Christ. You see, the joyful person's priority is Christ." Now think about that for just a minute, because if Christ is your priority, that means that you are no longer your priority. Now, that's hard. That means there's a throne in your life, and you have stepped off of the throne and asked Jesus to sit there and stay there. Now, your priority is Jesus. So the decisions you make are based on how can the world around me get to know Jesus? The things you do, the things you say, the things you post on Facebook are based on not how can I make sure people see me, but they are based on how can I make sure people see Jesus? That's an entirely different priority. But I'm telling you there is great joy in that priority because it takes off all that pressure of having to live up to everybody's expectations it takes off all the pressure of having to be cool man i don't have to be cool i gave that up a long time ago but i sure do hope you get to see jesus because of something i do or say that's exactly what paul meant when he said for me to live as christ You ever seen this critter? This critter is a boll weevil. They are mean little dudes. Since its arrival from Mexico in 1892, the boll weevil has cost the American cotton industry more than $23 billion in losses. And it has prompted the largest eradication effort in the nation's history. In the early cotton season, the adults feed on the cotton leaves and then they puncture what's called that little cotton square. It's the the bud of the plant. And they puncture that little square and they lay their eggs. When those eggs hatch, the grubs start chewing their way through everything inside so that when it's time for the plants to open up, the, the the cotton that should be there is largely gone because those little grubs have eaten everything out. In a single season, one mating pair can produce two million offspring. These are terrible little pests. Why then would Enterprise Alabama erect a statue in honor of a devastating pest like that? Today, if you go to Enterprise, you can see this statue in downtown. Well, it was there yesterday. Who knows if it's there today? This statue, this Greek goddess kind of a person holding up the bowl weevil. Why would they celebrate a critter like that that causes so much devastation? That statue dates back to 1919 when a local merchant commissioned the, the figure to be put together by an Italian sculptor. The plaque in front of it reads, the same today as it did back then, in profound appreciation for the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. This monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama, H.M. Sessions, a man who lived in town and acted as a seed broker to farmers in need, saw the devastation throughout the South that was being caused by the boll weevil and he knew he needed to act. Farmers could switch to other crops that wouldn't support the boll weevil, but cotton generated the highest profits and it grew on land that was sandy and well-drained, the kind of land that not a lot of crops can tolerate. One of the few crops that could tolerate those conditions was peanuts. After visiting North Carolina and Virginia where he saw peanuts being grown, Sessions came back with peanut seeds, sold them to the area farmer C.W. Baston. And in 1916, Mr. Baston planted his entire crop in peanuts. That year, he earned $8,000 from his new crop and paid off his prior years of debt, and still had money left over. Word of Baston's success spread quickly, and by 1917, regional farmers produced over a million bushels of peanuts that sold for more than $5 million. And that was in the early 1900s, $5 million. By 1919, right when the boll weevil scourge was reaching its peak elsewhere in the south, Coffee County was the largest producer of peanuts in the country and shortly thereafter became the first in the region to produce peanut oil and they made their success because of the boll weevil. Paul says I see what's happening. But folks, this has advanced the gospel as the whole garden everybody around knows that I'm here for Jesus. You and I face those difficult times when the boll weevil comes to destroy. A joyful person looks through that and says, God, what can you make out of this that will bring success? And more than that, that will help people know that you are the one who's at work. Out of my heartache, How might my God be glorified? That is the joyful person's priority. And so Paul says in Philippians later on in the same chapter at verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. People notice Jesus because of what I'm going through and then notice the joyful person's Influence. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, now again, he means Christians. He means his spiritual brothers and sisters. So he says, in that area, most of the Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, look, man. Because of what I'm going through and people are starting to to talk about Jesus, then the other Christians who are in this area now are more bold because they look and say, man, if Paul, who is in chains, sitting there in the prison, if he can talk about Jesus then surely I can talk about Jesus. If he can do it in his captivity, surely I can do it in my liberty. If he can do it in his pain and sorrow, surely I can do it in my good times. He added to the boldness of those around him. You and I might look at our brothers and sisters throughout the world who face persecution every single day of their lives, persecution just because they wear the name Christian. And maybe we could see in them what might motivate us to say if they're willing to do it in persecution surely we could represent Christ more effectively in our area of liberty and our freedom his courage made others courageous that was his influence joy is contagious the gospel was shared more broadly because Paul chose joy in the book How to Win Over Worry a story is told of Mrs. Monroe, who lived in Maryland. Mrs. Monroe was a typical mother, and like other mothers that you might meet, she had to go to the store and, and take care of the kids. And so she, she went to the store one day. She comes home. And when she comes home, they, she had left them all watching TV. But when she arrived back, she put her stuff in the kitchen, and she noticed something was wrong because the place was quiet. She couldn't hear the TV, she couldn't hear the kids, they weren't yelling and screaming, they weren't running around, there was this eerie silence. She looked into the den and she saw her five children sitting around in a circle. To move, to figure out why they were so quietly sitting in a circle, she moved a little closer and when she did, she saw that in the middle of the circle on the floor, each kid was playing with a cute little skunk. There were five cute little skunks in this circle of five kids. Startled, she yelled at her children, run, children, run. And with that, they each grabbed a skunk and ran in five different directions. As they ran, she screamed even louder, scaring the children so badly that each one squeezed their skunk. As you can imagine, skunks don't like to be squeezed. And the influence of what happened that day spread throughout the house very quickly. What are you spreading throughout your house, your neighborhood, your workplace, your church, your home? Because you see, joy is contagious. So is negativity. Joy is contagious. So is anger. What are you spreading throughout your house, your your home, your neighborhood? What influence do you have on those around you? Are you squeezing skunks or are you leaving a sweet aroma? In 2 Corinthians 2 and 15, Paul said that we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are to have an influence. We're to be a sweet-smelling aroma. We're to spread the joy of Christ, and a joyful person has found that kind of influence. A joyful person focuses beyond his circumstances, and, and God, he sees God at work. A joyful person's top priority in life is Christ, and a joyful person influences others with the joy of life and the love of Christ. Father, we pray that you'd help each of us to be joyful people, understanding that that will not just happen to us, but we have to choose it, we have to look for it, to pursue it. Help us that we might make sure Christ is on the throne of our lives and that we are endeavoring every day to serve Him in a way that spreads our joy throughout the land. May we serve you faithfully this week, is our prayer for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.